Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for anybody who loves cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Julia. Hi. It has been a very long time since you and I have done this, and I know it doesn't feel that way to our right. audience mm-hmm. because of the magic of planning. <laughs> planning is so... You and I have talked about this. Planning gives you the opportunity, gives you freedom to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. As it's amazing. my grandma once said, proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance. So it, I should embroider that on a on a <laughs> embroidery hoop. It's incredible. <laughs> with so all in, that time you have, with all that yeah. <laughs> all of this mm. extra luxury time you have right now, Lauren. Yes, I have lots of spare time. And the reason why I have lots of spare time and the reason why we recorded, I think, three months in advance (laughs) before this recording today, uh, we stopped recording in June, is because I had a baby. What? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I kept it a secret from you for this long. (laughs) And this is the first time that you and our listeners are going to hear it. Yes, I had a baby. His name is Isaac. He is the cutest, precious little he's thing. He's very cute. It's cute. He's very cute. He is very cute. And he's got very big cheeks that um, we've discovered when we roll him in his stroller, they jiggle a little. <laughs> and it's very cute. I love it. <laughs> and he has so, very fluffy hair. And he, he has a lot of hair. It's very expressive. Mm-hmm. He's got very serious eyebrows. And uh, I was sure, I've told you and everyone I knew, that he, I was just going to have the clone of Steve. He was just going to come out wearing a flannel shirt and glasses and a full beard. <laughs> but in fact, he looks weirdly like both of us in certain lights and, and in certain photos. So, that's I mean, that's fun. pretty good. That's yeah, fun that's when good. you get to figure out what they're going to look like. Yeah. I'm like, you're just, well, I personally think he's the cutest thing that's ever lived. But well, yeah, I'm biased, of course. Um, so, yeah. So I have a baby and it's weird and it's fun. <laughs> it's super fun. <laughs> I didn't realize how much fun having a baby is. Hey, everybody, having a baby, A++++, would recommend. Wow, whatever meds they have you on are. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I I ever used the word fun when I was on maternity (laughs) leave with Ellie, but. No, it is very isolating. I will say Steve has gone back to work, so he works from home sometimes, and sometimes he goes to, to work work, and I'm pinned under a baby most days because he naps on me and eats on me and all that stuff. So he, Steve will come down for lunch to make me a sandwich or whatever. And I'll be like, let me tell you every thought I have ever had in the past seven hours and everything that I've watched on television and everything that I've read on the internet. Here, sit down. Let me tell you everything. <laughs> so I've definitely been hard up for some social um, interaction. So, but anyway, uh, I have watched a lot of stuff and a lot of documentaries <laughs> and a lot of movies and you'd think that that would give me ins- tons of inspiration for things to do for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Alas, <laughs> my my documentary tastes runs to the murderous and or super weird. And also, like, I'm not just going to recap a documentary, especially not a murder one, because there are other uh, podcasts that do that much better than I do. Um, so actually, this was uh, from a fan on Twitter, the suggestion for today. Um, our good listener, C. Hello, C. Thank you so much. Um, they were like, Hey, may I request an episode on Diana Ross? And I said, done. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I said, absolutely. So, um, it's not so much, uh, you know, what you suggest to us. It's when you just have to do it at the right time. (laughs) At the time where I have been for three days going, what am I going to do for the podcast? What am I going to do? And then you get that tweet and it's like, yeah, I could do Diana Ross. So dedicated to C on Twitter, uh, today I will be talking to you all about the Queen Supreme, Ms. Diana Ross. So here we go. How much do you know about Diana Ross, Julia? Um, sometimes I confuse Diana Ross and the Supremes with some other girl groups, and I know I, mean, I shouldn't. I mean, it's understandable. There were a lot of them in the 60s. Yeah. I know a little so. bit about her offspring. Mm-hmm, I know a little mm-hmm. bit about her um, her foray into acting, but yes, I need, I need to know it all. 
Well, I'm here to tell you it all, or at least, you know, a good overview <laughs> of this woman's 78 years on this planet. Oh yeah, my, she's 78 oh my years gosh. old. She looks incredible. For real. She looks amazing. Anyway, so again, 78 years old. She was born in Detroit um, on March 26th, 1944. Um, she was the second of six children. Her mother actually named her Diane, but her birth certificate was mistakenly filled out with the name Diana. So she's actually Diane Ross, which doesn't have the same je ne sais quoi, I would Diane say. Diane Ross works in the accounting department. She does. She does. She knits her own sweaters. Mm-hmm. She has... Her favorite color is beige. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, because then you don't have to sort your clothing before you put mm-hmm. them in the wash. She wears a uniform every day. Oh, Diane yeah. needs chunky soup for lunch. <laughs> She just brings the can. She just brings the and, can. Yeah, she does like heat a, it up in a She does in a, a Tupperware bowl. that she keeps yeah, at oh, work. The, yes, the, the Tupperware <laughs> in her desk at work. Oh, Diane. oh, Diane. Yeah, but apparently her family and her Detroit friends called her Diane all her life. So her close personal friends called her Diane. Okay. But professionally, she's Diana. So um, she attended Cass Technical School in downtown Detroit. She took classes in clothing design and millinery and pattern making and tailoring because originally she wanted to become a fashion designer. Oh, cool. Yeah. So more on that later. She actually did. She's still like she dabbled in fashion design throughout her life. So at 15, she joined the Primettes, which was a sister like girl group of another group, um, which was a male vocal group called the Primes. Mm-hmm. Um uh, they were after being brought to the attention of music manager Milton Jenkins by Prime's member Paul Williams. So along with Diana Ross, the other members included Florence Ballard, the first group member hired by Jenkins, Mary Wilson, and Betty McGlown, uh, who was Williams's then-girlfriend. So in 1960, the Primettes won a talent competition in Windsor, Ontario, and they were invited to audition for Motown Records by A&R executive and songwriter Robert Bateman. Um, so later following like just local success via some live performances at, you know, sock hops and, and like, you know, I don't know, church goings and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, Diana approached her former neighbor and possibly her rumored childhood, former boyfriend. No one really knows. Uh, Smokey Robinson. You may have heard of him. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, his, his full name, by the way, is William Robinson. His nickname is Smokey. So we'll be referring to him as Smokey from here on out. Um, so he insisted that the group auditioned for him first. Uh, and the primates later auditioned for Motown before a bunch of Motown executives. And in Barry Gordy's autobiography, To Be Loved, Gordy recalled that he was heading to a business meeting when he heard Ross singing, There Goes My Baby. And her voice stopped him in his tracks. Um, he approached the group and asked them to perform it again, but then he found out how old they were and he advised them to just return after they graduated from high school. Yeah. Because Barry- You know what? That is <laughs> very good advice. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I would say that that is advice that still needs to be taken by a lot of men in the music industry, even today. Agreed. In 2022, Agreed. the year of our Lord. Just saying. Agreed. So uh, they were disappointed, but they were undeterred. They uh, returned to Motown's Hitsville, USA headquarters every day, and they offered to provide extra help for the their recordings. You know, they, they would record hand claps and background vocals and just kind of like trying to keep their foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so they recorded two tracks for Lupine Records with uh, Diana Ross singing lead on one of the tracks. And during the group's early years, she served as its hairstylist, makeup artist, seamstress, and costume designer. So she was like, she was running the show in both in front and back of house. Right. So in late 1960, um, they had replaced McGlown with Barbara Martin. The primates were allowed to record their own songs at Hitsville studio. Most of them written by Smokey Robinson, uh, who by then was vice president of Motown. Uh, Barry Gordy also composed some songs for the trio. And while these songs were regional hits, they weren't really nationwide successes. So, in January of 1961, Barry Gordy agreed to sign the group to, on the condition that they changed their name. He didn't really like the primates. Okay. So, songwriter and Motown secretary Janie Bradford approached Florence Ballard, who was the only group member in the studio at the time. Um, she asked her to pick out a new name for the group, and she provided, like, a list that they had <laughs> just kind of hanging around. Uh, and Ballard chose Supremes, reportedly because it was the only name on the list that didn't end with et. Like oh, primate, okay. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Um, and apparently the other members weren't really impressed after hearing the Supremes, the name, the Supremes. Um, and Ross told Ballard that she feared that the group would be mistaken for a male vocal group. And in fact, there was actually a male vocal group called the Supremes. Oh. Um, but Gordy signed the group under their new name anyway, on January 15th of 1961. So they, they were working, they were touring. And then in late 1963, the group had their first hit with when the love light starts shining through his eyes which peaked at number 23 in the Billboard Hot 100. And it's at the end of the title. year, yeah, long it's a title. long title. <laughs> yeah. And there's no parentheticals in there. That is just a full <laughs> sentence as the title. That's like a, a fallout boy uh, title um, <laughs> showing my age. Um, and at the end of the year, Barry Gordy said, Diana Ross, you are the lead singer of the Supremes. He was like, that's you. You're going to be the lead singer. She did not fight him on this. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So in June of 1964, they were on tour with Dick Clark's Cavalcade of Stars. Um, The Supremes scored their first number one hit with Where Did Our Love Go? And this paved the way for unprecedented success. Between August 64 and May 67, Ross, Wilson, and Ballard sang on 10 number one hit singles. Wow. Uh, The group had also become a hit with audiences both domestically and abroad, and they went on to become Motown's most successful vocal act throughout the 60s. I will say, I have a personal story about Stop in the Name of Love, which was one of their main, mm-hmm. which was one of their big singles. When I was a wee babe, when I was in preschool, my mom and I would sing Stop in the Name of Love. And my mom, of course, taught me the choreography for it. Like you do. You would teach your three-year-old child the choreography for Stop in the Name of Love. And me, being me, I taught my pre-K class <laughs> <laughs> the, the song. I would sing the song and I would do the choreography. And uh, I went to a, a fundamentalist Christian school and <laughs> and my pre-K teacher, Miss Short, called my mother and said that I was um, corrupting my <laughs> my fellow students' brains with secular music. And famously, the story goes, my mother said uh, to Miss Short, Cindy, get over yourself. <laughs> so... <laughs> so... So... With secular my- music that was 30 to 40 years old. <laughs> At the t- at, the, at time. the time, yeah, mm-hmm. which was the, like the most tame, like benign, yeah, <laughs> just sweet, lovely thing that this this woman could not just let me do my Supremes thing as a four year old, whatever. Cindy Short doesn't listen to this podcast anyway. <laughs> no, <laughs> she definitely. I think does episode not. Th- three or four was about the time we lost the fundamentalists. <laughs> yeah, Miss. <laughs> Ms. Short would be very disappointed to what I listen to right now, which is the devil's music. Anyway, uh, (laughs) so back to Diana Ross. Uh, She began to dominate interviews with the media. She answered, she actually answered questions aimed at Ballard or Wilson. Like she would just elbow her way into conversations. Like, oh, I can answer that for them. Um, She also pushed for more pay than the other two girls. Uh, In 1965, she began using the name Diana from the mistake of her birth certificate, which surprised uh, Ballard and Wilson, who had only known her and called her Diane. (laughs) So they were like, all right. Um, However, following significant issues with comportment, weight, and alcoholism, Florence Ballard was fired from the Supremes by Gordy in 1967. Mm. And they ended up hiring Cindy Birdsong from Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells as Ballard's replacement. And this whole like kind of storyline is the basis for the hit musical Dream Girls, uh, also a movie. Um, this that's the movie in which um, what's her name won the Jennifer uh, Hudson. Jennifer Hudson, thank you, won the Oscar. Um, so Gordy then renamed the group Diana Ross and the Supremes, making it easier to charge a larger performance fee for a solo star and a backing group as it did for other renamed Motown mm. groups. So that was the reason why. Okay. Um, Yeah. So Gordy also initially considered having Ross leave the Supremes for a solo career in 66. um, But he changed his mind because he felt the group's success was just too big for her to pursue solo obligations at that moment. Um, So she remained with the Supremes until early 1970. Also not for nothing, um, Gordy drove Ross relentlessly throughout the 60s. And um, she had a lot of anxiety from these demands on her. Mm -hmm. And she actually began suffering from anorexia, according to our autobiography, which was entitled secrets of a sparrow. Uh, during a 1967 performance in Boston, she collapsed on stage and had to be hospitalized for exhaustion. So, 
Um, that was that time period was not great for girl groups. Like they were worked. Um, it was tough and they were very young. And a lot of times they would sign these contracts that were not especially beneficial to the artists themselves. Not to say that Gordy did this for the Supremes, but clearly he was not like a gentle guy. Right. Um, so in nine, in mid 1969, he decided that Ross would depart the group by the end of the year. Um, and she began recording her initial solo work that July. So there was like this paved, like, way for her to like get out of the Supremes. And so she started like creating her solo work earlier so that it would just like come out all at once. So one of the first plans for her to establish her own solo career was to publicly introduce a new Motown recording act. Um, and though she herself did not claim their discovery, Motown's publicity department credited her with having discovered the Jackson five. And this is something that, <laughs> is like still told today, like Diana Ross discovered the Jackson five. Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, like she was anywhere. just like driving around Gary, yep. Indiana. Yep. Like just one day, <laughs> like these five boys, like on a porch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like harmonizing beautifully. And she like, she told the driver, stop, stop those boys. They have to be famous. So it actually didn't happen. But anyway, <laughs> it didn't happen that way. Uh, but what a great story. I'm sure that was the reason why. So she would then go on to introduce the group during several public events. She became very close with Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that a little bit later. But um, so far, just real quick, she was romantically involved with Barry Gordy in 1965. Um, actually, the relationship lasted several years, and she had her first child with him, Rhonda Suzanne Silberstein, in August of 1971. Where did the Silberstein the come from? Well, here you go. Two months into her pregnancy with Rhonda in January of 1971, she married music executive Robert Ellis Silberstein. Okay. Who raised Rhonda as his own daughter despite knowing her true paternity. So oh, he knew that it wasn't his that's child. That's nice. But yeah. And, but Ross didn't tell Rhonda that Gordy was her biological father until she was 13, Oof. which, I mean, you know, 13, maybe old, maybe that's old enough to tell you, like, your daddy's not your real daddy. I don't know. Um, beforehand, Rhonda actually referred to Gordy as Uncle BB. Um, so Ross has actually two daughters with Silverstein. She has Tracy Joy Silverstein, who is Tracy Ellis Ross, mm -hmm. and Chudney Lane Silverstein, born in 1972 and 1975, respectively. Chudney? Yes. Chudney. C-H-U-D-N-E-Y. Chudney. I know. I know the face you're making. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. It was the 70s. What are you going to do? Chudney um, Silverstein? Chudney Silberstein. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Maybe because of this, Ross and Silberstein divorced in 1977. <laughs> no, nothing but love for Chudney Silberstein. Um, boy. In May 1970, she released her eponymous debut solo album, which included her signature songs, Reach Out and Touch, parentheses, Somebody's Hand, and of course, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. Um, that one became Ross's first number one solo single. Also, follow-up albums, Everything is Everything, and Surrender came out shortly afterwards. And also later in 1971, she starred in her first solo television special, which was called Diana, with an exclamation point. That's um, what Barbara did, too. Yeah, Bar Barbara. <laughs> I think everybody was just like, hey! <laughs> everybody had their own solo television special with just like, a, a, it's an excited yeah. title. It was just their yep. first name. Share. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, she included the Jackson 5 in her television special, of course. Also in 1971, she began working on her first film, Lady Sings the Blues, which came out in 72. This was loosely based biography, um, which was based on singer hit Billie Holiday. Mm. There was some criticism of her for taking on the role, uh, but once the film opened in October of 72, she won critical acclaim for her performance. Jazz critic Leonard Feather, who was a friend of Billie Holiday's, praised Ross for, quote, expertly capturing the essence of Lady Day. Uh, Ross's role in the film won her a Golden Globe Award and an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. And the soundtrack became just as successful. It reached number one on the Billboard 200, staying there for two weeks, and it sold two million uni units. Wow. Um, also, in 73, she became the first entertainer in Japan's history to receive an invitation to the Imperial Palace for a private audience with the Empress Nagako, Ooh. wife of Emperor Hirohito. So that's kind of cool. Wow. Um, she also became the first African-American woman to co-host the Academy Awards with John Huston, Burt Reynolds, and David Niven in 1974. So um, she had a moderately successful album in 73 called Last Time I Saw Him. Um, 
Then she had a second movie, which was called Mahogany, which was released in 1975. I have like a vague, there's something so, tickling my brain right yeah, now. Yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure I know what it is. It is uh, from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, where uh, <laughs> Titus goes on to... <laughs> Gets on a cruise and is in a musical, and it's the musical Mahogany. Yep, that's yeah. it. <laughs> and Maya Rudolph plays, uh, who does she play? Um, Whitney Houston's aunt. Oh, um, Dionne Warwick? Yes, I think she plays Dionne Warwick. I'm almost positive. I'll have to look that up. Um, but yeah, he poisons her so that he can be Mahogany. It's like a whole thing. It's a very funny episode. I think it's like over the course of two episodes. <sighs> so the real Mahogany... <laughs> It, it reunited her with Billy D. Williams, who was her co-star in Lady Sing the Blues, um, and featured costume designed by Diana Ross herself. So she designed the costumes for like this major motion picture. Is, Bill, is Billy D. Williams the guy in Star Wars? Yes, uh, he is a Lando Calrissian. He has like the sexiest voice in film. Oh, um, love him! So uh, I think he was also a singer. I think he was also a singer. Um, so this, so Mahogany is the story of an aspiring fashion designer who becomes a runway model and the toast of the industry. However, it was a very troubled production from its inception. Uh, the original director, Tony Richardson, was fired during production and Barry Gordy assumed the director's chair himself. And Barry Gordy and Ross clashed during filming and Diana Ross left the production before shooting was completed and then Gordy was forced to use his secretary as a body double. <laughs> So his bo- his secretary was named Edna Anderson. This poor woman was just like, she was just like writing in shorthand and taking notes for Barry Gordy and just like getting his sandwiches and just like doing the, the shit work. And he was like, Edna, get in here. Edna is like 84 years old. Yeah. They put a, they put a wig on her and they were like, get out there. They only shot from her the from back. behind. Yes. <laughs> from the back. Do not turn your head. So help me God, Edna. <laughs> And they, so, and they, this is how they cut it. They cut the movie out like that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, they did. So <laughs> it was a box office success, but it was not well received by the critics. Um, Time magazine's review of the film chastised Gordy for quote, squandering one of America's most natural resources, Diana Ross, <laughs> which I feel like the phrase most natural resource is not a compliment. That's like, like um, a natural resource is like clean water. Like that's not, So despite it all, she had her her third number one hit in the U.S. with theme from Mahogany parentheses, Do You Know Where You're Going To? She ended it in a preposition. Yeah, she did. I know. Well, it wasn't. Maybe she didn't write it. Maybe it was somebody else. It was probably Barry Gordy, let's be honest. So in 1977, Motown had acquired the film rights to the Broadway play The Wiz, Mm -hmm. which was a reinterpretation of L. Frank Baum's The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, um, the film initially was to include the stage actors who had performed in the play, but producer Rob Cohen couldn't get the interest of any major Hollywood film studios. So then Diana Ross stepped in and she was like, hey, how about I play Dorothy? And then Universal Pictures was like, yeah, hell yeah. So this casting decision led to a change in the film script. Apparently, originally Dorothy was supposed to be a school girl, but instead because Diana Ross was well into a her, woman. I think she was 40 at this point. Um, she was a school teacher and of course the role of the scarecrow was given to, uh, Michael Jackson and Ross and Jackson had a modest dance hit with their recording for the film of ease on down the road, which is probably the only song that I can remember Mm -hmm. of, uh, the whiz, which I saw as a child. And I remember the, when they get to the Emerald city, they keep changing the colors. They're like, gold is bold. And there's like this long, like, like roller disco scene. I remember feeling like it was 17 minutes long, but it's probably only, (laughs) A normal musical five and a half. Um, So the film adaptation of The Wiz had been a $24 million production, but upon its October 1978 release, it earned only $21 million at the box office, which was, of course, a net loss. Hmm. And at the time, it was the most expensive film musical ever made. Which makes sense because that roller disco scene was very involved. There were a lot of people. It was cast of thousands. So the film's failure actually ended Diana Ross's career on the big screen. Oh, and it, it contrib- Yeah, and it contributed to the Hollywood studio's reluctance to produce the all-black film projects, which had become popular during the, quote, black exploitation era of the early to mid-70s for several years. So this, like, the you know, the net loss of $4 million 
just made all of <laughs> made all of these studios be like, no more black musicals. Oh my so like gosh. that, you know, bottom that out for the next, you know, 30 years or whatever. So in 1980, she released her most successful album to date, which was just called Diana. Um, this was composed by Sheik's guitarist, Neil Nile Rogers and bassist Bernard Edwards. Um, the album included the hits I'm coming out and upside down. Mm. You remember both of those mm-hmm. good disco hits. Uh, Upside Down became her fifth chart-topping single in the U.S. And also that year, she recorded the duet ballad Endless Love with Lionel Richie, which if that comes on the radio, I am singing her parts. It's so good. Endless Love is a good song. That is a good early 80s ballad. Anyway, it would become her sixth and final single to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Um, did you know that Diana Ross dated Gene Simmons of Kiss? I did not know that. For three whole years, from 1980 to 1983. What did they talk about? I'd have no idea, but they began dating after Cher, who had remained friends with Simmons following their breakup, because Cher dated Gene Simmons. And he suggested, uh, she suggested that, um, she suggested to him (laughs) that he asked Diana Ross to help him choose her Christmas present. So Cher was like, my friend Diana will be able to tell you what I want for Christmas. And then, you know. Wow, Gene the rest Simmons. Of history. Gene Simmons. Ugh. That's not his real name, is it? Um, I don't know. Let's see. Gene Simmons. He is Israeli-American. Let's see here. His, <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so Gene Simmons' real name is Chaim Witz. He is, is, he's Israeli. So that makes perfect sense. But I guess... Kit, you know, welcome to the stage. Kisses Chaim Witz <laughs> just doesn't have the same. <laughs> oh boy, boy, yiko bikos. Anyway, <clears throat> from one end of the world to the other, Ross met her second husband, Norwegian shipping magnate Arne Nuss Jr. in 1985 and married him the following year. Uh, she became stepmother to his three elder children. Uh, they have two sons together, uh, Ross Arney, born in 1987, and Evan Olav, born in 1988. Evan Ross. Yeah. Who is uh, married to um, Ashley, uh, Simpson? Ashley Simpson. Yeah. And apparently they're very close. Like, they hang with Tracy Ellis Ross all the time. They hang with Diane all the time. Like, they're a very tight family. Great. Yeah, so Ross and Nace uh, divorced in 2000 uh, after press reports revealed that he had fathered a child with another woman in Norway. <gasps> well, look, Lauren, shipping magnets are, you know, they're rare. You can't trust them. You can't trust them. You really no. got to keep your eye on them. All the they're time. They're going all over the world. Especially the ones that are uh, from Greece or apparently from Norway. Norway. Yeah, for sure. But you she don't hear about him- any like Canadian shipping magnets. No, you don't. Well, right. you know what? They just keep to themselves. They just, you know, they stick in their lane and they, you know, ship their stuff and they make their money and then they, you know, they go home to their devoted wives and their <laughs> loving children. <laughs> and their, you know, their property's full of moose. Um, Diana Ross considered Nice the love of her life and he fell to his death in a South African mountain climbing accident in 2004. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. hmm. Suspish. Yeah. Uh, she, however, remains close with her three ex-stepchildren. Um, altogether, Diana Ross has seven grandchildren from her five children. Oh. Just FYI. Uh, in 1981, she left Motown after Gordy refused to meet RCA's offer to sign Ross, which was a seven-year, $20 million contract. And at the time, it was the most expensive recording deal in history. Um, that has since, I'm sure, been surpassed hmm. by, I don't know, Taylor Swift or something. But... This was a big deal at the time. Um, also, on July 21st, 1983, she performed a free concert on Central Park's Great Lawn. Uh, this was aired live worldwide by Showtime. So, the point of this was proceeds of the concert would be donated to build a playground in her name, the Diana Ross Playground of Central Park or something like that. Um, so, midway through the beginning of the show, a torrential downpour began. So, it was like, it was like hurricane-level weather. And she kept performing for 45 minutes. And there is video, there's video of this because it was aired on Showtime. Um, and it's amazing. She's standing at the edge of the stage 
and she's wearing this orange sparkly jumpsuit with like a cape with an orange cape and the wind is blowing and it's blowing back her hair and blowing the cape around like like she's flying and she's like if I'm going to keep on singing everybody's going to keep on hanging out with me tonight right and everyone's like yeah and she's like She's singing Reach Out and Touch, and she looks like a goddamn angel. Like, it is so incredible. And she's like, it feels kind of nice, actually, because she's getting, like, rained on. Like, she's And no one got electrocuted. Pouring rain. No, but they did make her stop the concert. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, shut it down, because there was a lot lightning. of, like, thunder and lightning. <laughs> so she actually stayed on stage and was like, hey, everybody, please leave, you know, the venue safety, safely. We uh, will be back tomorrow. Like, we will, you know, honor everybody's mm. tickets and... So they did. The next day, there was no rain. Um, but the memorabilia that was supposed to be sold to raise the money for the playground had already been destroyed by the storm. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so when journalists discovered the exorbitant cost of the two concerts, Ross faced criticism from Mayor Ed Koch and the Parks Department Commissioner. And during a subsequent mayoral press conference, Ross handed Koch a check for $250,000 for the project. And the Diana Ross playground was built three years later. So all was well. Okay, great. Yeah, but if you have a chance, just Google it. It's on YouTube, like Diana Ross Central Park, 1983 or whatever. Um, I already forgot the date. Yep, 1983. <laughs> Definitely check out when she sings, reach out and touch somebody's hand because it is, it's amazing to watch. It's really cool. Um, also extremely dangerous. She probably should have left the stage. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1988, she chose to not to renew her RCA contract and she actually went back to Barry Gordy in Motown. Um, when she learned of Gordy's plans to sell Motown, she tried to advise him against the decision, but he ended up selling it anyway. Um, but she got, um, she had shares in the company as part owner. Um, mm. So she basically like got a little bit of money out of that, mm. by the way. Not like she doesn't make enough money, but. So the same year in 1988, she was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of the Supremes alongside her former singing partners, Mary Wilson and Florence Ballard. Um, she also recorded the theme song to an animated adventure drama film, The Land Before Time, if you may have heard may of have it. May have heard of it. Yep. Um, the song was If We Hold On Together. It became an international hit. I do not remember this song, mm. but it has been a very long time since I've watched The Land Before Time. Um, in 91, she was one of the few American artists to have headlined the annual Royal Variety performance, performing a selection of her UK hits before Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh at the Victoria Palace Theatre in London. Um, this marked her second appearance at the Royal Variety Performance, the first being in 1968 with Supreme. So it's like a nice full circle moment. Um, she did return to acting with a TV film called Out of Darkness. She earned her third Golden Globe nomination. She didn't win that. She performed at the Super Bowl 30 halftime show in 1996. This was at the Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe, Arizona, if you remember correctly. It was the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> The Steelers were in the playoffs that year. Oh, we could okay. have gone to the Super Bowl, but we didn't. Yeah, I year. mean, you guys could have seen. Diana oh no, Ross we were in that Super Bowl. It was the Steelers and oh. the Cowboys in that Super Bowl. Whoops. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how could you, Julia? <laughs> I was yeah, going the to Cowboys correct you on won that, that one, but no. Um, also, at <laughs> the MTV Video Music Awards in September of 1999, um, she kind of created a little bit of controversy because she. Uh, she like padded Lil Kim's exposed boob. Yeah. Remember she had that, that outfit. It was like a jumpsuit that was one shoulder and then she had a pasty over her one boob. Right. And she was standing with Lil Kim <laughs> and they were like posing for pictures and Diana Ross just like, le like reached over and just like bounced her boob in her palm. Like, look at this. Like, <laughs> you know what? Bless her. Cause Lil Kim didn't seem to have a problem with it. So <laughs> you know what? It's like, it's like your grandma. It's like, uh, let, let grandma touch her boob. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so she reunited with Mary Wilson first in 1976 to attend the funeral service of Florence Ballard, who had died in February of that year. So in March of 1983, she agreed to reunite with Wilson and Cindy Birdsong for the television special Motown 25 yesterday, today, forever. Um, also, instead of following the producer instructions to recreate their choreography from their final Ed Sullivan show appearance, Wilson, according to our autobiography, planned with Birdsong to take a step forward every time Ross did the same. Um, and then she began to sing lead on the group's final number one hit song, Someday We'll Be Together, <laughs> on which she actually did not perform. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
So later, Wilson introduced Barry Gordy from the stage. Um, and apparently she was unaware that the program script called for Diana Ross to introduce Gordy, at which point Ross subtly pushed down Wilson's handheld microphone stating, it's been taken care of. And then she reintroduced Gordy to the audience. Oof. Um, these moments were actually edited out from the final edit of the tape special, but it still made its way into the news media. People magazine reported that quote, Ross did some elbowing to get Wilson out of the spotlight. Mm. So things had not changed amongst the Supremes in terms of that. Um, in May of 2002, Ross and all five of her children appeared on Barbara Walters mother's day television special. However, shortly thereafter, Ross admitted herself into the 30 day substance abuse program at the promises Institute in Malibu, California, uh, after friends and family began to notice a burgeoning alcohol problem. Um, she, however, left the program three weeks later and began to fulfill previously scheduled concert dates. Um, however, she re-entered promises in August, um, because, she had not gotten over it. Mm. And that December, while she was at Arizona's Canyon Ranch Health Resort, she was pulled over by a Tucson police officer for driving the wrong way on a one-way street. She failed a breathalyzer test and was arrested for a DUI. She was later sentenced to 48 hours in jail, which she served near her home in Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> so as far as we know, since then, she Oof. has been she has been okay. Um, she received her first Grammy Award for Lifetime Achievement. If you can possibly believe it, she did not win a Grammy what? up until 2012. Wow. When it was her Lifetime Achievement Award, and then she announced the nominees for Album of the Year. So she did not win a Grammy, like, her entire wow. life. Wow, and like, it was a non-competitive Grammy, too. I know, right? Jeez. Um, in better news, in di December of 2017, she appeared on the Home Shopping Network to promote her first <laughs> fragrance called Diamond Diana. And the fragrance sold out within hours. She made several hour-long appearances on the network. And also, as you imagine, uh, released a tie-in CD retrospective collection of her music titled Diamond Diana. It peaked at number six on the Billboard R&B albums charts. Um, she is still going. She released her 25th studio album, Thank You, in November of 2021. It was written and recorded during the pandemic lockdown and contains her first original material since 1999's Every Day is a New Day. In May 2022, she released the single Turn Up the Sunshine, which was a collabo with psychedelic pop band Tame Impala. It is the lead single from the original soundtrack album of the film Minions, The Rise of Gru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not what I was expecting at all. The, the, the phrase Minions, The Rise of Gru and Diana Ross. But hey, you know what? It's, she does what she can. Is, there's a precedent for it. She yeah, did the I mean, whatever. time. Yeah, and you know what? Money's money, man. Yeah. I'm not going to knock her for it. Uh, she also appeared as the finale act at the Platinum Party at the Palace in celebration of the Platinum Jubilee of Elizabeth II. May she rest, also known as the Platy Jubes, which is one of my favorite things about Platy that. Platy Jubes. Platy Jubes. No, it sounds like a weird rash. <laughs> you got that Platy Jubes, huh? <laughs> mm, so itchy. Um, she kicked off her, the UK leg of her thank you tour at Cardiff Castle in June 10th of 2022. And on June 26th, she appeared live on the pyramid stage, the Glastonbury Festival. What? She played Glastonbury this year. She is 78. She's 78. I am, 30, I am 37. I'm not going to Glastonbury. You couldn't pay me enough. Let alone to perform there. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, Misinformation will be performing at Glastonbury Festival. No. Absolutely it might not. not be the one in the UK. We'll find someone. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we'll find we'll it, like, be in like Glastonbury, Glastonbury Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a distinctly New England term. It's probably Glastonbury, <laughs> New Hampshire. You know. Um, so altogether, her solo output consists of twenty five studio albums and one hundred and sixteen singles. Throughout her career, she has sold over a hundred million records worldwide. She uh, Billboard ranked her as the forty seventh greatest artist of all time and the eleventh greatest Hot one hundred female artist of all time. And in nineteen ninety three, the Guinness World Records crowned Ross as the quote most successful female artist in music history. Wow! Her eleventh studio album, Diana, remains the best selling album of her career, selling more than ten million copies around the world. So she is enormously successful, very rich. She has worked her ass off. And you know what? As most people who are very, very, very successful in their field does not have any problems kind of elbowing people out of the way to do it. So, right. You know what? I can't believe she worked with her, like, for all intents and purposes, her ex for like 40 years. Right? Apparently, like, she seems to just, she's one of those girls that 
you know, friends with her exes, which I can never <laughs> understand. I mean, God bless if you can, but I could never. Like, I, I turn into Houdini when I break up with somebody. Like, I changed my phone number. I moved to a different city. I erase all my social media. Like, I am gone, gone. Like, you will never see me again. And it helps with closure. I highly recommend. <laughs> it's very healthy. Super healthy. My therapist loves it. Anyway, so my quiz today, <laughs> due to the fact that I had a baby, and also because the Supremes have a song called Baby Love, uh-huh. this is a quiz on animal babies. Oh. Question number one. Don't think too hard about this one. What is the name for a baby peacock? Question number two. The baby name for a platypus is as strange as you might imagine, but it's not unheard of, since it's also the name of a hybrid dog breed involving a beagle. What is this baby name? Question number three. The baby term joey is most associated with kangaroos, but other Australian marsupials also have joeys, including wallabies, koalas, and this adorable stout little guy with square poop. Question number four. A baby horse is called a foal, but a female baby horse is called a filly. What is a baby male horse called? Question number five. As you might possibly expect, thanks to their name, a baby hedgehog is called a what? Question number six. They're pretty gross, but the name for a juvenile cockroach is rather lovely, considering it's associated with Greek mythology. What is it? Question number seven. In general, a baby fish is called this, which seems cruel, since it's what you might do to it on a Friday once it gets old enough. Question number eight. After the larval stage, a baby oyster is called this, a term which, when pluralized, becomes a term for a shoe accessory that you might see on a fancy man. Question number nine. This baby name is used weirdly for a lot of pests, including rats and bats, as well as moles and otters. What is this common baby name? And finally, question number 10. The name Isaac means he laughs or he lives in what original language? We'll give you a minute to think about it. And we'll be back with your answers. Yeah, we just had a little a little digression about the the minion soundtrack um, <laughs> on our part, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how good I am at this. We'll okay, see. well, Let's we'll do it. see. Okay, question number one. Don't think too hard about this one. What is the name for a baby peacock? Could it be a chick, a pea chick. It is a pea chick. Good job. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a peacock is the male, a peahen is the female, and a pea chick is the baby. So I don't have anything else about that. So number two, the baby name for a platypus is as strange as you might imagine, but it's not unheard of since it's also the name of a hybrid dog breed involving a beagle. What is this baby name? This is a puggle. It is a puggle. So puggles consume their mother's milk through pores on their chest. Like it like oozes out. <laughs> And they catch it in their mouths much like you would drink, like the same way someone would drink water from their hands, like catch it. (laughs) It's very gross and weird. Um, Platypi uh, only live in the freshwater regions of Tasmania. Just FYI. Hmm. Uh, Question number three. The baby term joey is most associated with kangaroos, but other Australian marsupials also have joeys, including wallabies, koalas, and this adorable stout little guy with square poop. It's a wombat. It is a wombat. Um, I follow a wombat on Instagram. His name is Wilbur. Um, he has since been released back into the wild, but there are lots of videos of him like playing with um, stuffed animals and like falling over. 
It's very cute. <laughs> Wombats are very adorable. Follow somebody on Instagram. You will not be uh, disappointed. Okay. Uh, question number four. A baby horse is called a foal, but a female baby horse is called a filly. What is a baby male horse called? Is it a colt? It is a colt. Um, actually, a foal is a horse under a year old, while the term colt is used for male horses from age two to four. There's like seven different names for different ages say, of horses. There's like a gelding is yeah, something. And a stallion. A gelding is a castrated male horse over the age of four. But a stallion has all his nads. And there's even a term for a like a male horse that's only been partially castrated. That's really <laughs> why? Like why? <laughs> Is there, a, is there a market for that? I don't understand. So I'll have to ask my sister who does not listen to this podcast. Okay. Question number five. As you might possibly expect, thanks to their name, a baby hedgehog is called a what? Um, it, It'll be really bad if I get this wrong. I'm, I'm like 98% sure it's a hoglet. That I will take hoglet because it is one of the, it's also a piglet. They also oh. call them piglets. <laughs> Uh, hedgehogs feed their baby piglets milk until they are eight weeks old. Um, however, if you keep one as a pet, they'll willingly eat wet dog food or cat food. So there you go. They like to keep, they like to be very warm. Yes. So uh, New York state is one of the states where you can have a pet hedgehog. Like it's not like too exotic, but then like all of my apartments before... (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're just too like cold and drafty and whatever, and I didn't want to like have to kill. Yeah, yeah. Well, kill a hedgehog. Yeah, I did. Not, I did not want it, that on me. No. Uh, but yeah, I was like, when I have when I have a house and it's nice and warm, we're gonna get a hedgehog. So, someday. a dream deferred someday, like a raisin in the sun. Um, I think I just mixed up my poems. Anyway, <laughs> question number six. They're pretty gross, but the name for a juvenile cockroach is rather lovely, considering it's associated with Greek mythology. What is it? I haven't the faintest clue. Uh, it is a nymph. Oh. They're called nymphs. Um, there are other like gross, creepy crawlies that have their juveniles are referred to as nymphs. <laughs> I think mosquitoes also have nymphs. So, uh, question number seven: In general, a baby fish is called this, which seems cruel since it's what you might do to it on a Friday once it gets old enough. Um, is it a, is it a fry? It is a fry. (laughs) So even with many different species of of fish, the word fry is used to describe most of them. And when I was writing this question, it hit me that the term small fry is a fishing term. Like, oh, it's just small fry. I thought of about it as a potato. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Like, oh, it's just a small French fry. You don't want that. You want a big French fry. (laughs) How about that? Question number eight. After the larval stage, a baby oyster is called this, a term which, when pluralized, becomes a term for a shoe accessory that you might see on a fancy man. Whew. Um, a shoe accessory on a fancy man. I'll just say a tassel. Good guess. It's a spat. Ah. So spats um, are actually, okay, so spats, I actually did info about spats because it was way more interesting than what than a baby oysters. oyster is. Yeah. Um, spat is a shortening of the term spatter dashes. So there were spatter guards, um, that were actually for outerwear, Mm -hmm. outdoor wear. So they would cover the instep and the ankle of a shoe to protect it from like mud and wetness. Okay. Um, and then they became a, like a fashion accessory and they were white. They originally were like, they would match the shoe in some way, but to wear them white was like to be like, you know, fancy in the early 20th century. Which I thought was kind of interesting. I like learning about like when women would actually strap these contraptions onto their feet so they could walk through the streets without all of their, you know, Mm -hmm. petticoats and all this stuff getting dragged through the mud and the filth. And I like And those are called Chopin. Chopin. Yep. Those are called Chopin. And a lot of, they were associated with, um, with uh, concubine and uh, concubines and like um, ladies of the night. uh, And like the higher your, your Chopin, the, you know, sluttier you were, I guess, something <laughs> along those lines. It was really silly. I went to a costume society association um, conference like years ago when I was in grad school and there was not a single interesting talk except for the woman who <laughs> talked about Chopin. And I took so many, I took copious <laughs> notes. Like I was going to, I don't know, like do an ex- exhibition on it or something, but it was very interesting. Um, 
Yeah. And there are a lot of people who would have like different outfit changes every day. Costume society people are weird. Anyway. It sounds exhausting. It was oh, so exhausting. There was a woman who wore a ship oh, as a headpiece and then she had like, like different Antoinette. ships. Yeah, it was very stupid. Anyway, I was like, this is Boston. Come on. Uh, question number nine. This baby name is used weirdly for a lot of pests, including rats and bats, as well as moles and otters. What is this common baby name? Um, is it a kit? Ooh, good guess. It is a pup. Ah, okay. Yeah. I don't have anything about that, but you know, rats have pups and bats have pups and otters have pups and they're very cute. <laughs> um, so there's that. And finally, question number 10, the name of my son, Isaac means he laughs or he lives in what original language? He lives, he laughs, he loves in Hebrew. Yes. <laughs> uh, when we were coming up with baby names for our child, um, it turns out I like a lot of like Old Testament baby names. <laughs> I was like Moses. And she was like, absolutely not. We're not naming our child Moses. The, so. the day she went to the hospital, like I was kind of weren't, I was like, Lauren's in the hospital now. I was like, um, it's possible that her baby's name is going to be Balthazar, but we'll, <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, that was definitely a a potential uh, from everyone that I've talked to about like all the baby names that I was uh, looking at. There was a lot of biblical, old school biblical stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like none of this like James, yeah, you know, no Matthew. We're talking Mark, about a Luke Bendigo. Yeah, we're talking <laughs> about a Bendigo here. <laughs> we're talking about Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, Abednego. That's what I'm talking about. Methuselah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That old school shit, that smighty God shit. That's what I wanted. Anyway, so we settled on Isaac, which I think is perfect. That's, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so thanks. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening throughout the summer while we've pre and my, my audio was bad. I apologize for that. That's on yeah. my end. Um, it's from here on out. It should be better <laughs> because we're recording one at a time again. And, you know, we can nip that in the bud as soon as possible. But, um, thanks everyone for listening and thanks again to C for giving me the inspiration to do Diana Ross. Yeah, I hope great I did episode Lauren. I hope I, thank you. I hope I did you some justice. So, uh, thanks again for listening and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.